The first reading is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The second reading is Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And the third reading is Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. As Alison mentioned, we're going to be starting a new series today on the Lord's Prayer. And over the coming weeks, we're going to be working through it line by line. And today we're starting to think about who we pray to, our Father in heaven. But before we start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the richness of the Lord's Prayer and all that Jesus has to teach us on how to pray. As we consider together the significance of being able to call you our Father in heaven, please show us why this is so amazing and lead us to treasure it afresh today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prayer is far from unique to Christianity. In fact, it is a key feature of most world religions, as well as in the lives of many who would describe themselves as unreligious. According to a 2018 poll, one in five UK adults say they pray despite not being religious. Addressing God as our Father seems so familiar, we barely bat an eyelid when we say it. Yet it's actually extraordinary that we get to relate to God this way. No Jew would dare to address God as Father. You wouldn't have caught Abraham, Moses, Isaiah or David using such a familial term. Whilst Hindus have thousands of names for God, not even one is Father. 
Similarly, Muslims are happy happy to endorse all other attributes of God, but using Father is a complete no-no. Our Father is shockingly intimate, irreverently familiar and intensely personal. It highlights the very special relationship that Christians get to enjoy with God through Christ. So our first point, we pray to God our Father. There are so many ways that Jesus could have begun his prayer. Our Creator, our Judge, our Majestic King, our Sovereign Lord, all true and accurate. And yet, he chooses to use our Father. Why? Because he wants us to grasp the extraordinary relationship that we get to have as Christians with God. The fact that we are his adopted children, that he's embraced us as his children forever and declared us legally his. We need to understand that none of us are naturally children of God. The Bible tells us that naturally we're his enemies, objects of wrath. But, and it's a big but, By his grace, not by anything we've done or will ever do, if we're trusting in Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we've been given new life by his Spirit and brought into his family forever. As John 1.12 says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And as we heard read in Romans 8.15, The Spirit has brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Literally, Dad. He's our Dad in heaven. It's worth saying that adoption to sonship is true whether we're male or female. It means we get the full rights of the firstborn son, who at the time would have inherited everything. In modern culture, we don't always see adoption as a privilege, but to be adopted in first century Rome was an honour. Sometimes a wealthy but childless family might adopt their slave to carry on the family name. The slave was welcomed into the family as a new person with a new name, cancelling all previous debts and giving him the right to inherit the estate. What a transition, slave to son, outsider to insider, the fear of a master replaced with the love of a father. The extent of this privilege was brought home to me at Christmas while watching the Downton Abbey film. Up to now I have to confess to being a bit of a Downton snob, but I actually did really enjoy it. In it, Lady Bagshaw, the Queen's lady-in-waiting and a Crawley relative, plans to make Lucy, her maidservant, her heir. You can imagine the fuss and upset. Those serving below stairs didn't even enter the house by the front door, let alone enter the family. Yet here she was being offered the full rights and privileges of a family member. Outrageous. Well, our adoption to heirs, our ability to call God our Father, is even more dramatic than this. We are now fully part of God's family, 
with Jesus as our big brother, sharing in his wonderful inheritance as co-heirs with him. With this, we have full access through the front door into his presence any time we like. Isn't that amazing? And yet, too easily, we operate as if God is a slave master, someone we need to please to avoid his anger or disappointment, believing if we just do a good enough job, he might show us favour. For some of us, even if we do see him as father, then the absence, abuse, or just plain apathy of our earthly father may have damaged the way we view God. We may struggle to approach him or wonder if he really cares. As those working in politics, we sadly see all too frequently the ramifications of poor fatherhood. And yet the fact we need to know is that when God calls himself father, he is referring to the kind of father we were created to have. As Krish Kandaya, the the founder of the adoption charity Home for Good said, God is the ultimate standard of fatherhood. He is our father in heaven, far removed from the deficiencies of our earthly parents and far exceeding the beauty of our earthly parents. And we're not just adopted in a legal sense, but we're adored children. He loves us and longs to bless us. As we read in Matthew 7 verse 9, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? As an aunt, I find great pleasure in blessing my seven and five-year-old nephews. I absolutely love it when they FaceTime me, and I'd do anything to make things better when someone's unkind to them at school. I try to listen patiently when they talk for hours about Ninjago, don't ask, and I love seeing their faces when they open a present that they really, really wanted. And if you're a parent here, you will understand this better than me. And yet God loves us more than I love my nephews. He can't wait for us to talk to him. Whilst I might tune out when the ninja chat is too much, God never grows bored with us and he just loves to give us good things. He doesn't want a transactional relationship with us. He wants to spend time with us. He really is the perfect father in every way. But we don't just pray to our father. Wonderfully, we pray to our Father in heaven. So our second point, we pray to our Father in heaven. The fact that God is in heaven reminds us of his majesty and glory. He is almighty, awesome and all-powerful. He's in heaven not because he's remote or removed, but because he's great. Acts 17 tells us he's near not in some faraway place. And Psalm 139 reminds us he's absolutely everywhere. Our Father is the ruler of the universe and dwells in heaven as he is immeasurably greater than we are. This makes him the perfect dad 
for sorting out complex and messy situations. Nothing is too big for him and nothing too small. It would be so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that approaching our Father is rather like calling some faraway call centre in heaven where we're put on hold and asked to wait while God deals with the more pressing crisis in Ukraine. But no, we're not number 200,000 in the queue. We're always number one. He's always accessible to all his children because he's almighty and all-powerful. He's never overwhelmed or unsure what to do. He's able to juggle global issues and every one of our daily concerns. He's equally delighted to hear us speak to him about both. He's also all-knowing. There's nothing about us that he doesn't understand fully. As Psalm 139 tells us, he knows everything about us. When we sit and rise, all our thoughts, even our words before we speak them. And he doesn't just know that about us, he knows that about everyone and everything. Whilst I might indulge or spoil my nephews or lack generosity to them, our Father in heaven always gives us what is best, as he knows everything. As Gary's favourite theologian and pastor, Tim Keller, says, God always knows, oh sorry, let me say that again, God always answers your prayers in precisely the way you want them to be answered if you knew everything he knew. How wonderful that we can ask him anything, knowing that he will always give us what is best for us. And when he says no or wait, He does that because he knows that that is far better for us. I find that enormous comfort in the wait times because I know that my father knows better than me and therefore I can trust him with the outcome. Knowing this, it seems mad not to pray, doesn't it? The reality is that most of our problems in prayer stem from a failure to understand who we pray to and that we really can approach him as our Father in heaven. As we wrestle with fears and anxiety, feel burdened by the pressures in Parliament or get weighed down by our daily to-do list, let's remember our Father in heaven who has adopted us and adores us who longs to listen and help whatever the issue we face. But not only that, because he's in heaven, he's almighty, awesome, all-powerful and all-knowing. Whilst we might not know what to do in a crisis or feel overwhelmed by a personal or political decision, he knows exactly what to do and can handle every request we bring to him. Unlike our earthly fathers, he always knows what is best, always gives the wisest advice, and is always able to deliver. As I end, I want to share a quote from a book, Knowing God, by the theologian J.I. Packer, which had a huge impact on my faith as a young Christian. 
You sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that if we're trusting in Christ, we really are your dearly loved, adopted children, and you delight to hear us pray. Thank you that not only that, but because you're our Father in heaven, nothing is too big or small for you to deal with. You never grow tired or weary of us, and you always know what is best. Knowing this, please give us greater confidence to talk to you about all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.